0: At this time, I'd like to encourage you, if you have a Bible, uh, those of you who are here, take one out right in front of you. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Again, Ecclesiastes, the Old Testament, chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, today is the first Sunday in our new sermon series we're calling Emotional Faith. It's also the first Sunday of a new calendar year. Uh, My wife, Alyssa, actually, I think she was the one, she sent me this meme a few weeks ago. She pointed out that um, we have to realize the year 2022 can also be pronounced 2022. It's a little scary, right? Like, like I don't think anybody wants to go back to the year 2020. We can all agree with that. And yet, as we entered 2021, right, which was a year ago now, we had this same hope that this year things would be different. And this past year things were different, but those differences carried with them their own sets of, of challenges. There are things about the year 2020 that have stubbornly held on in the year to follow. Division. Global pandemic that has not slowed down fast enough. My, my wife Alyssa, she even told me recently she was at Costco and they were limiting the number of rolls of toilet paper that you could buy again. I th- not again, right? Like, like, I thought we were finished with this. The, uh, the working world, actually, Karen and I were just, just kind of talking about this. We've, we've actually been given a new term this past year. We call it the Great Resignation. Uh, In April of 2021, a record-breaking 4 million Americans quit their job. In one month, 4 million Americans quit their jobs. And In general, if you look back at the last year and a half, there's been opportunity for many families to save more money, and yet in 2021, we found that those same dollars were worth less as the cost of living went up. Interest in divorce... By married couples went up 34% over the last year, even though the general divorce rate in our country has been in decline since the 1980s. I read another headline just the other day, it was, I think it was on Christmas actually. It said this, the pandemic has caused nearly two years of collective trauma. Many people are near a breaking point. And the opening story in the article was about a flight attendant that was attacked by a passenger on the airplane that they were flying on, broke bones in her face, and they cited that the FAA has initiated over 1,000 unruly passenger investigations over the past year, which is five times as many as they had initiated in the year 2020. But 2022 is going to be better, right? <laughs> I, I want to bring you hope. That's what we're here for, right? And and the, these are just the global realities of what we have collectively experienced over the last year. Let's not even get into how many times we all tried to do the normal New Year's stuff this past year, like new exercises and diets and budgets and those kinds of things. And, and I don't want you to get the wrong impression. It's not all bad. I was talking to my sister-in-law just to, over our Christmas holiday and uh, she's in charge of staff in her uh, place of employment, and she said that they have had a record number of maternity and paternity leave requests because of COVID babies. That's new life. Like, that's an exciting thing. That's a good thing. There's a lot of things that a year ago in 2020, we hadn't figured out how to do, and in 2021, we've learned how to do these things. Like, you know, I, again, some conversation just as those of you who are here were coming into the Building, we we're talking about Christmas and how you know for many of us, COVID has still had a big impact. We had it in our household, and so we had to postpone our family gathering. But we still were able to figure it out. You know, I talked to another another couple whose kids came in shifts just to keep everyone safe and make sure that everybody was comfortable. We've been able to figure out how to do things this year that last year we just hadn't yet figured out. Part of the Great Resignation is is a reality that there are many of. us who have a new perspective on life over the last two years and are trying to live more to our true selves and out of our own gifting and our callings, and that's good. These are all good things, but in the midst of all of it, the sustained tensions and the challenges and the changes, the good and the bad, has come with it all a variety of emotional responses and so as we are beginning another year arguably with some tempered expectations of what to expect we're going to take a different approach and we're going to look below the surface we're going to look below the surface of our experiences our goals our resolutions and we're going to talk about emotions. And I want to encourage you to hold on, even if you heard about this sermon series and said, that's not for me, I like my emotions like I like my water, bottled. Have you ever heard that one before? Some of you might think that's true for you, but hold on because this sermon series is going to be for you too, and we're going to get into it in our reading today. It's the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to spend the next two Sundays here, uh, not the whole series. We we'll spent a lot of time in the Psalms as well, um, but we're jumping today into the third chapter, and I think it would be helpful to set the scene, especially if you're not too familiar with this particular book. Uh, now, the author of the book of Ecclesiastes is unknown, um, but what we see here is that they are writing from the hard-earned life lessons of a one who is known in Hebrew as Koheleth, which means teacher. And we learn in chapter 1, verse 1, that this teacher is the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now, many people assume that must mean Solomon, because Solomon is the son of King David. It could also, though, refer to another king that came further down the line, or it could be a writing just from the perspective of this king. But in any case, Koheleth, the teacher, is a king with more access to power and money and material possessions and opportunities than every single one of us combined will ever have and that sounds wonderful doesn't it except he begins the 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 book in verse two by saying in the midst of all of his experience meaningless meaningless says the teacher Koheleth, utterly meaningless everything is meaningless now this word meaningless in the hebrew is hevel And that word is is actually a lot more descriptive than simply the word meaningless. And you can see that there's a deeper meaning to it if you look. Um, The original language of the Old Testament is Hebrew. And so as we translate it into English, if you were to look at that particular verse, in other English translations, it's like they can't decide how to translate it. And so if you look at the different translations, you'll find meaningless is one way. Another one is vapor, vanity, futility, smoke, these are all words used to describe the same Hebrew word, hevel. And so I want to use smoke. I think it's a good word. I think it's a descriptive word. It it describes a substance that floats in the air, something that you can see, something that you can smell, something that you might even be able to taste. And yet, when you approach it to grab hold of it, what happens if it's smoke? You can't. You can't touch it. You can't hold on to it. And so Koheleth, the teacher king, who has everything and has experienced all that life can give, suggests that all of life is like Hevel. It's like smoke. It's there, but in an instant, it's gone. You can't fully grasp it. Time doesn't stop. And I think, man, that's... What we're all thinking about at the beginning of a new year, isn't it? We put in perspective what life is. And yet, he also acknowledges that while everything in life seems to be like a vapor, that doesn't mean that there isn't purpose in all things as well. Quite the opposite. You get to chapter 3 in our reading, and look at verse 1. He says, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. Now, again, we're going kind of deep this morning, but it's a snowy morning, and so it feels like a morning we could go a little deep. So, the Old Testament is written in in Hebrew, right? The New Testament's written in Greek, um, but early on in history, they translated the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek, and they call that the Septuagint. And it helps us to look at how they translated Hebrew words into Greek to maybe better understand what those words might mean in English. And so, if we look at Ecclesiastes chapter. Three In the translated Greek, there's different words for time. In Greek, there's several different words for time. Time like your watch time. Um, but this particular word, when translated into Greek, was translated as kairos. And anybody who's taken our newcomer class, you've heard that word kairos. Kairos is the Greek word not just for time, but for a specific moment in time. It is the word used to describe a significant moment where God is breaking through. Into our world. That's the word for time that we see translated here. And so I want you to think about that definition as the author of Ecclesiastes describes the meaning of life. He says that there is a time, a significant kairos moment to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. And so what do we have here? Everything in life is heaven, It's all smoke. It's all vapor. You can never fully grasp it. You can't grab hold of it. And at the very same time, he says that everything is utterly significant. The weeping and the laughing, the embracing and the refraining, the searching and the giving up, the loving and the hating. The author here says that every single one of these moments in life contains God himself breaking into our reality with a message, with a purpose. Dare I say, with hope. Now, you might not know this about me, but my, um, my background is that I am 50% Irish. Uh, my my mom's maiden name is Gladstone, so that gives it away. Uh, she's 100% Irish, and I don't know a whole lot about my heritage. But I was doing a little research on rainbows the other day, and the legend of leprechauns, and where we get this idea. Uh, you, just you have to follow me. Some of you are like, where is this going? Um, but where I was just kind of curious, like where where does this come from, and specifically where do we get this idea that there's a pot of gold at the end of every rainbow? And so I did a little research, and I learned that back in history, leprechauns were actually not kind creatures. Um, but this, this whole idea is, is they were known to be deceptive and mean. And that's where we get the concept of a pot of gold at the end of every rainbow. Because have you ever tried to chase a rainbow, right? Do you ever get there? No. <laughs> and that's the point. That's the joke Of the leprechauns. And yet, there's still a time for rainbows. Rainbows are still utterly significant. What do we do? Even though we know there's no gold at the end, we stop every time we see one. We maybe even pull over our car, take a picture, post it on Facebook or Instagram. Did you know, this is something else I learned, that no no two people see a rainbow in exactly the same way? Every person that looks at a rainbow, even the same rainbow, is seeing that rainbow incredibly different, unique to where their perspective is looking through the light that is transferring through the water droplets in the air. It's like a snowflake. Every single person, even if you're standing next to someone, sees the rainbow in a very unique way. A rainbow is also something that's beautiful and you can never grab hold of, right? You never grab hold of it, and yet that even so is part of the beauty because if you can't grab hold of the rainbow, what it forces you to do is look beyond it to what it represents. And God actually tells us in Genesis chapter 9 what. The rainbow represents all the way back in the great flood of history. We read that God said I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all of life. But whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. The rainbow is set in the sky to remind humanity that God will not destroy you and me, but rather the opposite, he has promised to save us. A salvation that we remember and celebrate in Jesus, whose birth we celebrate on Christmas. And later this week on Epiphany, we're going to recall the gifts that the wise men would later bring to the child king. Gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, gifts that are not really gifts in and of themselves. Because, you know, I think about this as a father of five kids. These are are meaningless gifts to a child, and, and actually some of them are downright dangerous. You'd have to lock them up. Jesus could get poisoned, right? Right. But what the purpose is behind them is that each one, like smoke or like a rainbow, is about what it represents. And so uh, they brought gold, right? Because Jesus came as a king. They brought frankincense, which is an incense used in worship because Jesus is also fully Lord. And then, of course, myrrh is an oil used to embalm as a symbol of death because the covenant that God made with his people all the way back in Genesis was the one that God's people would never be able to fulfill on their own. See, there's a difference between a promise and a covenant. We often think of them as the same thing, but a promise is a one-way street. I can say, Lowell, I promise to get you a cup of coffee after worship today. And Lowell doesn't have to do anything, right? I have to make good on my end of the promise. Lowell simply receives. Now, a covenant... ...is different in that both parties have to agree to something. In order for the covenant to be fulfilled, both sides have to come together. In this case, you have a covenant between God and all of creation... ...and specifically Him and humanity. And yet, since the very beginning of history... ...we see that humanity has been incapable of holding up our end of the covenant... And so Jesus, on Christmas, was born to fulfill both. This is why Jesus had to come not only as Lord, but to come as a man. Not just to live as king, but also as a human being so that he could fulfill both sides of the covenant. And that included his death. His death for the sins of the world. So what does all this have to do with emotions? Well, just like time, just like rainbows, just like smoke, just like the gifts of the wise men, our emotions serve a similar purpose. Just like a vapor, just like smoke or rainbows, they are big. You can see them. They impact our lives. And yet if our emotions become an end in and of themselves, they lead us nowhere, don't they? They're fleeting. Even the good ones, even the rainbow emotions of joy and peace on this side of heaven, they don't last forever. And so the question is, what if we might see our emotions as a sign instead? And not an end to themselves, but what if our emotions are a sign that guide us to what does last forever? What if our emotions can unlock an awareness inside of us of the presence of God in everything. And if you continue to take a look past our reading today, you'll see in Ecclesiastes, there's a time for everything, and then the author continues. He says, I have seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity on the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to end. Now, that word beautiful in Hebrew means appropriate or order. Beautiful physically. And he says that God has made everything that way in its time. Not in our time, but in God's time. We just can't see it in the moment. But our emotions, they're like smoke. They're like vapors. They're like rainbows that remind us in the midst of what we can't see and fully grab hold of, that God is still near. When when, when you're going through something horribly tragic or terrible, and somebody comes up to you and says to you, don't worry, God has a plan, do you ever want to pop him in the nose? (laughs) Like, that, that's what I want to say. Like, I'm a pastor, right? Like, I could make a theological argument that God has a plan. And yet, when I hear that, it makes me angry. Now, why does it make us angry? It's not because it isn't true. But the reason that that statement makes us angry in the midst of it is because we know that it's true, and we're frustrated because we can't see it. We can't see what God is doing. We can't see the way in which he is making all things beautiful in its time. And I think that's what has been the most frustrating for many of us over the course of this past year. We thought going into 2021, we thought we knew what was coming, didn't we? We thought we knew what was coming. Life used to be so much more predictable back in 2019. I mean, let's be honest. I'm not so sure it ever was. But we tell ourselves that. And most of us that are excited about the upcoming year 2022, chances are you are thinking exactly how it's all going to play out and expecting it to go a specific way. But let me pose this question. What if we all approach 2022 differently this year? What if we approach the new year asking God less for our own plans and more for an awareness of his own presence in every moment that we face? Let me say that again, because I know we're still, it's only the second, we're all thinking about all the New Year's resolutions, right? What if we spend less time asking God to bless our plans and more time asking God to give us a greater awareness of his presence in every moment that we face. See, that's why we're talking about emotions because emotions can be God's gateway to answering that very prayer. Sometimes your emotions are like rainbows, right? Sometimes they're like smoke, But when we look at God's word, we'll discover that our emotions are always intended to point us to something. Sometimes something greater, something deeper, to understand ourselves and to understand God. We are made in God's likeness and image. And so every time you're angry, for example, there's two things that that's revealing to you. The first thing it's revealing is what is in my heart right now. What am I responding to? That that my emotional response is anger. But the other thing that it's doing is it's showing you something about the character of God because guess what? God gets angry too. And so in our anger, we learn something about God. Jealousy. God is a jealous God. Joy. When you feel joy... You can ask yourself in prayer, what is it that my very being is being drawn to that's bringing me joy, and also understand that the God that we worship is a God of joy. The more that we can discover those things, and that purpose in our emotions pointing us to a greater awareness of ourselves and of God in the midst of all things, the greater position we're going to be in the new year and every day that God gives us on this side of heaven to find our hope and peace in him, no matter what the circumstances bring. Dan Allender uh, and tremper longman a theologian and a psychologist they wrote a book a number of years ago it's called the the cry of the soul and i just started reading it i haven't gotten into the whole thing yet um, but it's about our emotions and our faith and i just want to read to you just a quote that i've read so far that i found particularly moving they said ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality listening to our emotions ushers us into reality and the reality is where we meet God. Emotions are a language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice. So my challenge to you and to myself in this new year is that we would listen to the voice from within and that we might hear the voice from above. So let's begin by listening as we join together in prayer. Gracious and loving God. I came across the words this week of the prophet Jeremiah, and he is right when he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? This is why we need your help. What is the source of our joy, our peace, our anger, our jealousy, our hope. God, as we lean into a new year of unknowns, help us to be faithful to what we do know as we listen to the voice of our own souls as it is spoken through our emotions. Emotions given to us by you. You are a God who is joy and peace, but also anger and jealousy. Help us to find our joy and peace in you this year and reveal in us the ways in which we have tried to find it in someplace else. Don't protect us from anger. Dare we pray to you, God? Don't protect us from jealousy. Don't even protect us from sorrow. But in each of those things, align our hearts that they might be broken and angered and sorrowed for the things that bring those same emotions to you. When we see injustice in the world and it makes us angry, we know that in our own emotional response, we are peering into the character of a God of justice whose heart is to make things right and new. May you use us in that work as it plays out in our world and in this new year. It is a bold prayer, but one that a broken world desperately needs us to pray. And above all, remind us of the promise that Paul places into words in Romans 8.28 that you are working all things for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. We love you, God, and we hear your voice. You are good, and because of that truth, we know that the year ahead will be good too. It is in Jesus' name that we pray.